3: Blog Talk Radio
4: Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to Left and Straight Shows, guys. It's Tuesday, August 18th, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and running the boards back in the studio is our fantastic intern hand. Hope you guys are having a great start to the week here. We had a good kickoff yesterday with Music Monday. Uh, We we had uh, guests have to postpone, so we kind of did our own little best songs of the summer day yesterday so my intern Loviana and I were joined by horror and music website curator Rocky and we talked about our favorite songs of the summer we featured 20 great songs and our special music correspondent Zach Day gave a couple of his own. So if you like good summer music and you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, be sure to go and download it. And you also some great music can play in your car and some of the hot hits of the summer, according to me, Lovey, and uh, our buddy Rocky. So you can always check all those out at, oh, iHeartRadio and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, all those fun places. So be sure to check that out and just hit the little subscribe while you're there. And if you like the episode, give it a five-star rating, and then more people will find us, and I'll be a very happy camper. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to have our good friend David Reddish calling in from beautiful downtown California, and uh, he's going to do our Entertainment West Coast Minute tonight, uh, talk about what's happy entertainment. So he'll be calling in in just a couple of moments, so we'll go over all the top stories of the day. And then my interview today is a great one. I'm bringing uh, live with me today, Charles Baker Strahan. Charles has had multiple lives. He is a hairdresser to the stars. He's worked for corporate events. He is now an amazing artist. And we're going to talk about his career arc and all the things that he's been doing in just a little bit. So I'm excited to talk to him about all of that. Other than that, though, not too much going on. Let's bring Han in for a second. Han, come on 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 air with me. We had our Monday music episode yesterday. What's your top songs of the summer? What have you been listening to this summer?
2: Um, I've been listening to a lot of uh, I Don't Know How But They Found Me, which are kind of like a more up-and-coming indie band. Uh, They just released a teaser song for their upcoming album, Razzmatazz. Um, and also I've been listening to St. Martell's because they are also releasing an album this uh, October, and they have a new song out called Preach that just dropped their music video for today, and it's very good.
4: Nice. I like it. We had a real eclectic list last night. It was a lot of fun. We did everything from Harry Styles to um, a lot of my LGBTQ artists from the radio show here to, of course, uh, Taylor Swift, and then we had a rock song, um, Death by Rock and Roll. I mean, we had all sorts of eclectic songs last night. It was a lot of fun. How is your end of yeah. summer going? you got school starting pretty soon. Are you excited to get back?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty excited to get back. I've got a lot of things to take care of over the next couple of weeks, so I'm going to be very busy uh, trying to get ready to move back into Chicago
4: where there's a lot going on right now. So, There you go. Well, let's jump into our Tuesday Entertainment Minute. We're going to be joined here in just a couple of seconds. We're going to bring on Mr. David Reddish. He is the entertainment editor for Queerity, the amazing website that gives me all of my LGBTQ news everywhere from pop culture to politics to entertainment and everything in between. He has been working like a banshee this summer because even though COVID's keeping people in, the news just keeps on coming. David Reddish, how the heck are you, my friend? Hey,
0: man, how's it going? I am holding it together by a thread.
4: <laughs> there you go. I like it. Oh, my gosh. It just keeps going and going. It doesn't seem like there's ever an end in sight. It's like, what, Labor days in a couple weeks? We actually oh are done with summer already? I can't believe it. We're I don't not... feel like I had a summer.
0: No, me neither. Uh, I'm not sure I had a spring. Last I checked, it was March. So, <laughs> I, you know how it is. It, isn't it awful? I mean, the good news is there's still plenty of great entertainment coming, so, so
4: there's there reason go. to have
0: some level of positivity.
4: I like it. Well, how was your weekend? Anything fun, exciting for you this past weekend?
0: You know, I stumbled on a British series that I highly recommend to all your listeners that I've been writing about to share with my readers called Years and Years. Now, you can get this series on HBO. It was a joint production by HBO and BBC. It stars Emma Thompson and Russell Tovey. Uh, very, Ooh. very handsome. Very gay, Russell Tovey. And this, by the way, is maybe his best performance to date. He's very, very good in this series. Um, it's a speculative fiction series, and, which basically is a fancy way of saying it takes place in the future. Uh, the idea is if Donald Trump were to win a second term, what would that mean for the next 15 or 20 years on a global scale? So the show follows oh a family God. that's headed by Russell Toby's character as they navigate an increasingly chaotic world. And so there's lots of comments about sexuality, about uh, migrant and refugee crises, about climate change, about uh, you know, resurgent Russia, about Chinese aggression in the South China Sea. About Trump's stupidity, because it all seems to come back to that. Uh, it's it's a riveting show to watch, so I really recommend it to people. Um, the nice. other exciting thing that's yeah, the other exciting thing, and you're going to want to check this out too. This is happening this week. Um, OutFest, which is the big queer film festival here in LA, uh, is finally happening this weekend, and it's going online, so anybody can take part from anywhere in the country. Uh, or possibly even anywhere in the world, you'll be able to stream all the movies that are showing at the festival, many of which uh, won't be released for another year or two. So you really get a leg up on people. And there are some fantastic titles that I've already seen uh, that I think people are really, really going to enjoy. Um, shall I list these for I'm kind of liking
4: this, too. I mean... <laughs> There's a lot of downsides to COVID, but I do like the virtual film fest because you can never see all these things regularly. I mean, you miss all the fun parties that's going on, but it's all about the film, right? So that's got to be kind of exciting to have all these films at your fingertips now to watch. I'm looking forward to this.
0: It is, especially, you know, we get letters at Queerty all the time from people saying, I want more queer content. Show me a movie that's about a, a gay couple or it's a gay love story or it's you know, a comedy that has some LGBT characters, but also straight characters. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about something like Outfest is you can find all of those things. Uh, I've seen a good chunk of the lineup, not the entire thing. Uh, but I can already say that uh, of the films that I've seen, there are several that are probably going to be on my best of the year list. Uh, some, some truly, truly awesome films. Uh, in nice. fact, this may be the best lineup I've ever seen them have. Uh, I'm going on the record saying that. Uh, I can't think of another year where I've enjoyed this many movies on this level that's, uh, to come out about fest. So uh, if well, I were to recommend, a when few, you're back in two yeah.
4: weeks, you're gonna have to give us your top five or top top eight or something, so we can know what to look for. Okay, I like that.
3: What we, um, will, absolutely. we
4: won't prejudice anybody before going into this weekend, <laughs> but when you come back, I wanna I wanna get your top top five or so and compare, because I'll be watching a lot of. Them. That's exciting but, stuff! Yay!
0: Yeah. That's probably wise. They still will be voting on the uh, the winning movies. So if anybody does register online to take part in Outfest to watch these movies, you still get to vote about your favorite. I'm hoping that actually increases the the visibility of the festival and they actually get more voters than they would normally have if they were hosting screenings just in a cinema here in town. Uh, so right, we'll see how people
4: right. take it. You know. Yeah. Very cool. But, uh, what else is on yeah, your hot button right now? What's going on? Anything, oh that, anything exciting that you're really uh, looking forward to or anyone you talked to recently?
0: Um, I did. I've been talking to actually some of the Outfest directors, um, and I don't want to prejudice anybody, but we've covered a lot of these movies already. Um, one of my favorites is called Breaking Fast, and in fact, this film just won uh, the audience award, the top award at uh, the Austin Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, Aglyph. Um, the film nice. Breaking Fast stars Haas Seelman, who people will recognize from shows like 24. He's in the new um, Marvel film, The Eternals. He plays one of the first out gay characters in Marvel canon. He is gay in real life. Right. Uh, in this movie, he plays a gay Muslim uh, during Ramadan that actually meets the boy of his dreams. So because it's Ramadan, he can't actually have sex. So this is a frustrating thing for him, uh, and hilarity ensues. It's a very, very heartwarming comedy. and uh, uh, Fleeman, by the way, is, is awesome in it. Uh, he can be a real leading man. He can carry a whole movie on his own. So that's exciting as well.
4: Definitely. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Well, anything else, uh, something something else you want to hit on on your hot parade here? I mean, a couple things I saw I really like. Um I was interested about the Hallmark and the Lifetime Movie (laughs) Wars, and now Hallmark has a wedding one coming up, it looks like. What do you know about
0: that? I mean, so Hallmark, to put this in full context, last year uh, context, last year Hallmark was criticized because they ran a commercial that featured a same-sex couple. And One Million Moms, the activist group, which is connected to far-right sort of
3: parent groups,
0: And by the way, which only has a couple thousand members, nowhere near a million, many of whom are men, they're not all moms. Misleading title. Uh, They tried to stage a (laughs) boycott of Hallmark over this ad, but then LGBT people were like, what the hell, man? Like, like put the commercial back. It's a freaking commercial. So they re-aired the commercial, and on the heels of that, the heads of Hallmark said, next year we're going to feature gay couples in our movies, because believe it or not, there have not ever been any queer characters in the Hallmark Christmas movies, uh, even though they put out like 40 new ones every year, which is more than a major studio right. even puts out. Um, so this year we're finally getting some queer characters, including, um, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. What's fun? They said we would be getting queer characters and queer performers, which is very exciting. At the same time, Lifetime, which has sort of made a bid to move in on Hallmark's territory when it comes to Hollywood movies, they put out a statement saying they're not just doing uh, a movie that's going to have queer characters. They're doing a gay romance set at Christmas.
4: <laughs> so right. now
0: Hallmark sort of has to try and one-up them. We'll see what actually happens, and we'll see what the quality of the movie is. Um, those Hallmark movies, as, as much as some people love them, my mother, by the way, will watch them starting the day after Thanksgiving until the day after New Year's. She's, she loves the Hallmark movies.
4: Tell um, mom I'll bring the popcorn. Formula. I'm the exact same way. I'm very <laughs> sad that way, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, are you?
0: I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it, but they're all kind of formula. They're always about you know a, a woman finding love. They're usually told from a female's point of view, who usually meets you know a very very handsome man. Uh, they're very often shot very clearly in Canada, not in the U.S. Um, and they have exactly. you know all kinds of all kinds of Christmas tie-ins. You know the snowy the snowy Vermont lodge and the skiing and the meet cute and uh, plot always involves someone from the city falling in love with someone from the country, all those things. I'll be interested to see how they adapt them to a queer relationship because all those things, by the way, happen to We the Queers also. It's just nobody talks about them because no one's ever done a movie quite like this before. So, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I'll be watching. Well, they have me at the,
4: cute, at the cute boys part, <laughs> but then half of them have to do with food, too, which just gets me the other half of the way because almost every movie has to be up to Baker's son's Yeah. Uh, Something or other too. So, they kill me in both the food and the handsome men. So, I'll be—I'll bring the popcorn. Tell Mom we'll watch them together starting day after Thanksgiving. So we're good.
0: (laughs) She'll probably be baking cookies as well. She likes to bake cookies and watch the Hallmark movies.
4: Uh, Oh, I'm loving Mom all of a sudden. We're gonna be the two of you can can exchange recipes. You'll have a great time. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. One more kind of um, outside of the gay realm that I read on the trades today that I thought was interesting is they're redoing planes, trains, and automobiles. Is that on your radar with Kevin Hart and Will Smith? I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I did
0: see that. It could be interesting. I mean, the original one, speaking of holiday movies, uh, the original one's kind of underrated. Roger Ebert, the great film critic, used to say that it was one of the best holiday movies ever and always really championed it because it's about two people becoming friends. And they, even though they go through all these silly antics, they're actually very believable, real kind of people um hollywood's been trying remakes forever but especially recently they've been remaking some of these classic comedies i don't know kevin hart and will smith are both charismatic enough and i think they will probably have good enough chemistry that it could be a funny movie but who knows who knows what it'll be yeah, and by it's the way who knows when it's going to get finished yeah with the that's with covid too. and everything <laughs> there's still a lot yeah, of open questions was, about
4: right right about around that. thanksgiving yeah. right that's not going to happen this year that's for sure maybe next year we'll see what happens
0: yeah, or everyone will be wearing masks in the movie. I have a feeling they'll try and avoid that. Um, I know productions have started to pick up around town and even on location. They're shooting the new Matrix movie, which gets me very, very excited up in San Francisco. Um, nice. I'm all about that. Uh, on the heels, by the way, of uh, Lily Wachowski, one of the, the co-creators of the series, coming out and saying, oh, yeah, it's all about being queer. It's all about
4: being trans.
0: And it's like, this is nobody thought about this for 20 years. So... Uh, well, she I'm very was excited. Sense8 to see.
4: girl, I love Sense8, right? How cool was that? Oh, girl? I love
0: Sense8, yes. Um, she and her, her so sister good. Lana, who is directing the new one, did Sense8. And, by right. the way, the new Matrix has a bunch of Sense8 uh, alumni, Brian J. Smith and uh, Duna Bai and Max, um, I can't pronounce his last name because it's crazy German. But a lot of the cast right. of Sense8 will be turning
4: up in the new Matrix movie. I'm excited. I didn't know that part of it. Very cool. All right, yeah. well, we only have a couple seconds left, David. Let's finish up, um, talk about COVID-related. I saw you wrote about it. My friends told me about it over the weekend, was on social, that uh, Flaming Saddles, we hope, closed down. Or is yes. that, I guess, not reopening? Um, what, what caught your eye on that? Because I think they're keeping the New York one still, right? They are keeping the New York one. I can't speak to the
0: ownership of the New York one if uh, the owners of Flaming Saddles actually own the building there or not. Uh, Here they were renting it, and this has been a pattern, and it's beginning to become a really disturbing one in Los Angeles and around West Hollywood where a lot of businesses are closing down because landlords are demanding full payment in rent. Uh, And of Mm -hmm. course, if you are running a bar or a restaurant like Flaming Saddles, where you have not been able to open since March, coming up with $10,000 a month in rent is not always easy to do. Uh, It's, you know, I I read this morning that something like uh, 10% of all storefronts in West Hollywood are actually vacant now. Uh, This is becoming an increasing problem because people can't afford to start businesses in a... Various neighborhoods around Los Angeles, particularly someplace like West Hollywood, unless they have extremely deep pockets, unless you have someone like Lisa Vanderpump who opened her restaurant on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. um, People just they can't get the money together or they they will open and they'll have a successful business like Flaming Saddles or like Jim Bar, which is another bar that had a similar story where. They've done well for right. 10 years and then the their landlord refuses to work with them despite the pandemic. And so they have to shut down completely. Um, that is a disturbing trend on several levels. One, because we're losing queer safe spaces. And this has been a trend right. before COVID, you know, now that we have the internet, now that we have apps on our phones, there's less of a demand for gay bookstores or gay coffee shops, places, you know, safe spaces where we can congregate in person. Um but besides that, you know, with gentrification, uh, the idea that we're going to get these businesses back somehow uh, is becoming increasingly slim. So uh, nice. it's a scary, scary time. And I, uh, you know, like I say, I don't know how people can afford to even start a new business given everything that's going on right now. So you end up with a, a big empty city, uh, devoid of business. I don't, you know, it's a, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Um,
4: yeah, very so scary these, prospects uh, on that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, David, we have to wrap things up. We got uh, my right. first guest on the line. Always appreciative having you on, my friend. Tell me, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you on Queerty and where they can find you on social media, my friend.
0: You can find me at queerdy.com along with all my work, my celebrity interviews, my breaking news stories, and my weekly column, Culture Club, which is everything you need to check out culturally this week. Uh, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the Gay
4: magneto, all one word. And you can find yourself here every other Tuesday in two weeks. We're yes. looking forward to it. You are such a great friend of the show, my friend. I appreciate you madness. Oh. I love you. Thank you, my friend.
0: Thank you, Scott. It's always my pleasure.
4: All right, stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play out to a little David Hernandez. And when we come back, we're going to have our special guest interview today, Mr. Charles Baker Strahan. You'll see the Left of Straight show right here in the Left of Straight Radio Network. Talk to you in a minute.
2: In the sky, and they're starting to align. I see you passing by, and we're slowing down the side. Now, my love is flashing by, all I see is flashing lights. Cause you're right here by my side. Can you feel it come alive? If this were a love song, would you be mine? I just can't get you off of my mind. you beautiful
4: back. That was David Hernandez from American Idol with Beautiful. He has a brand new song out now called Boomerang if you haven't listened to it yet. Just came out this past weekend and it's amazing. Go check it out. But speaking of Beautiful, guys, my next guest has aided the beauty of amazing clients like Mariah Carey, Amy Poehler, Chelsea Handler, Nicole Scherzinger, and so many more in his previous lives as a hairstylist where he's created signature looks and styles for each of them. In his work in the fashion and entertainment industry, he's worked all over the place with such great brands as Herbal Essences, the Global Ambassador. And about three years ago, he added artists to his resume. And his work in contemporary, cubism, and colorful pop pieces have already been featured in the Louvre and on Saatchi Art, the world's leading online art gallery. We're going to talk about all this and so much more. So please welcome to Let's Straight Show for the very first time, the handsome, and talented Mr. Charles Baker Strahan. Charles, how you doing, buddy?
1: Well, I'm I'm embarrassed by that lovely uh, <laughs> uh, introduction. I I'm, I'm flummoxed. Thank you so much. That was really sweet. Um, I'm excited to be here. It's nice to talk to you.
4: I am excited to have you on. We got to introduce each other through Beth Bowen, who was an amazing artist in her own right that we had on last and I'm excited to talk to you my friend you are have this amazing life you've lived I can't wait to share it with everybody how's your Yeah it's going, been man? a really
1: curious journey uh for sure and and I feel I feel very much privileged to, I guess, walk the road less traveled, I guess, in some ways. And, uh, you know, it's been really, really fun. And yes, Beth is an amazing person. I'm I'm really grateful that she hooked us up together. And we also have another friend in common, uh, Justin Martindale, who you're obsessed with his TikTok, obviously. You talked about that. And uh, Justin and I have known each other for, gosh, so many years. But yeah, he's a great guy.
4: (laughs) He's one of the few people that just think funny. I mean, a lot of comedians are funny, but he just thinks funny. He can just Pull riffs off the top of his head—it's amazing. Yeah, he's a a really—he's
1: very spontaneous and very quick on his feet. He's um, um—that's one of like in my experience working with you know entertainers and specifically comedians. Um, I'm always so incredibly impressed by, um, female comedians like Amy Poehler, for instance, who you know they come from that whole improv world. And I actually studied improv at um, Upright Citizens Brigade, which is she's part of the the staff or she created it actually. And um, it was such an intense thing. And I I did it sort of as an exercise to open myself up creatively. And, uh, I mean, it just – it's so impressive when you work with somebody who can can be so quick on their feet. And it's she's emblematic of that, just like Justin.
4: I bet. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's it's amazing work. And there's a lot of great people who have gone through that. And it's amazing training for anybody. Like you said, that's so smart of you to just kind of help you create your – get your creative spark going. I love that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think it's really important to sort of, like, constantly find different ways to become curious, to sort of challenge yourself to grow in a a different way. Um, You know, I've I've been really fortunate in the respect that I've I've always been able to kind of move around the world and kind of, like, do my own thing and, and find my own way as opposed to, like, trying to I guess, fall into somebody else's path or whatever, and it's, that's, which is why I said the road less traveled. Um, I actually used the analogy when we were uh, emailing back and forth of very much the journey of the Wizard of Oz, um, because I believe in that. Like There was this moment where I remember listening to Oprah talk about how the Wizard of Oz is one of her most favorite spiritual journeys, and she attributed this to the fact that you know the miracle is essentially you. And I sort started, of started, started sort of doing more research about it, and L. Frank Baum actually wrote The Wizard of Oz living in Brooklyn, New York. And the reason why it's called Oz is because of the alphabet, N and, and coming before O, and Y coming before Z. And so that's why The Wicked Witch of the West is called Alphaba. And Toto is actually Latin for everything. And so you have this girl who's going on a journey from Kansas City to New York to kind of find these different attributes of herself, you know, her mind, her heart, and her courage, through going down this yellow brick road and everything. And all the while, Alphaba is trying to take everything away from her, take Toto away from her. And she's just trying to get back home. And at the end of the journey, she realizes that she always had the power to go back home and that the miracle was her with the ruby Slippers. And so I always think it's really important to just pay attention to your journey and understand that each thing that you do will lead you to the next place that you have to go to and open you up to different and new possibilities if you can remain curious and open to that possibility.
4: I love that. That is so well said and so true. I mean, the backstory of some of these of what we think of as just entertainment tales are really amazing. And I love that you were able to share that. Talk about let's I mean, let's go back to your journey here. Now we're going to talk about your art just a little bit. But COVID time, how have you been holding up? I can imagine when you were back in your previous life as an ambassador and working here, you're with people all the time. It's got to be a so little <laughs> yeah. more comforting that you're able to do art and be a little more solid too. that COVID probably wasn't as impactful as it could have been. How have you been going through all this? Doing okay? Well, it's been really interesting.
1: It's been, I've, I've considered it for me personally on, on a personal level, um, something that has been, Uh, I'm an introvert, so like the idea of being able to spend time alone specifically um, or to myself uh, and really focus on lending myself fully and completely over to um, developing my art has been such an amazing um, opportunity for me personally on a personal level. And I, I think it's really important that. You know, I took it as basically because I'm being given this opportunity, and so many people are being having opportunities being removed away from them. It was my responsibility to take and do the most with this opportunity as I possibly could. Um, so mm-hmm. I dedicated and threw myself into. Um, literally just focusing, focusing 100% on art, which this journey started for me three years ago, randomly out of nowhere, where, um, as you had mentioned, I had 27 years working in entertainment and fashion, primarily as a hairstylist. And, you know, I did like a couple different reality TV shows, um, worked with a bunch of different celebrities, as you had mentioned, 10 years as the global ambassador for Herbal Essences. And then, um, after 10 years, that chapter of my life started to come to an end and I was getting ready to actually develop a product line. And I was going to do that with my then manager who is, or agent rather, she is a wonderful person, Crosby Carter, and I love her to death. And she actually was there in the very beginning of my career uh, as an agent. And then she, we sort of parted ways because she left and then we wound up coming back together again um, a couple of years back uh, when she started her own agency. And so we were going to go through this journey together, and I was you know, going to product development companies, and I had this really novel idea about how I wanted to create something that was very specific, and I'd moved into a new place, and I was redecorating, and something just told me to stop, and I just sort of threw myself into redecorating the apartment, and there was this moment where I realized I had all this extra wall space, and I was repainting things and stuff, and I remembered that Jackson Pollock used latex house paint to create his you know the immense body of work that we all know where it's like it's got the squirrels and the splatters and all that other stuff and right i just was like okay well let me just you know see what i can do and i had some um i had some canvases from a decoupage project that i was going to do for a friend just as a random little thing and you know i You know, did this little triptych painting and posted it on Instagram, and I had a bunch of people who really liked it, and then I had a housewarming um, to invite people over to my new place, and people were like, okay, that's actually really good. Like, you could sell that. I was like, yeah, 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 and they're like, no, really, you you could sell that, and I was like, okay, and I lived up the street from an Art Supply, and the next thing I knew, I was just like, well, let me just go get some canvases, and I picked up some acrylic paint, and I became obsessed, and I painted every single day for a year. Um, so much so that it actually wakes me up. Um, I wake up really early, sometimes as early as 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to to start working. And it's been wow. this incredible journey of self-discovery and this new sort of way of finding my voice and expressing it in a very different way. And actually, I'm very privileged to, after the first year, have had my first showing with an organization called Art of Elysium, which they're based here in Los Angeles. And it's a nonprofit organization that, that partners... Um, artists of different varieties like painters but also actors and singers with people who are either chronically ill or terminally ill or incarcerated are going through some form of like challenge in their life and providing them a means to be able to have expression to heal. And art is a very powerful tool to heal because you kind of link into your subconscious mind and you can process emotions in ways that most people aren't necessarily comfortable always processing them verbally, but they can kind of work through them in in their work, especially children. They wind up always showing you what's kind of like going on in your subconscious mind. And it winds up always sort of asserting itself in your work if you can kind of like get out of your own way and just observe what's happening. And that's something that was was very true for me specifically. And so they gave me my first show. And, you know, they auctioned off a painting that I did – or didn't auction off, I'm sorry. They created prints of a painting that I had done called High Dive, um, and that, you know, sold for the charity. And they sell it for, like, I think it's 100 or 125 bucks the prints, and it's artofelysium.org, and it supports the charity. But mine was uh, that year, which was 2017 um, – or 2018, rather, was one of the highest-selling prints that they had done. And so during COVID, actually, mm-hmm. they just released it. And um, they work with amazing artists like Shepard Fairey and everything else. And one of the other things that they're doing is they started an organization or they started a website called ebstudios.org, which is sort of like their version of Masterclass that Shepard Fairey actually helped them create. And Shepard Fairey is the famous artist who created the Barack Obama Hope painting um, and right. a lot of ones and so they've actually asked me to start creating video content so I'm getting ready I'm actually in an editing editing process for that right now about sort of finding your voice as an artist. but so that's, oh, that's one amazing. of the things that's actually happening right now and then I started this <laughs> I started this other series of paintings absolutely randomly um, called the F word uh, series which is very much based off of the F-word itself. Uh, I, I We've had a conversation. I don't want to say it, but it's the four-letter F-word that everybody knows and a lot of people love.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it really seems to be resonating. Um, I've actually just posted number 44 uh, of the total ones that I've created, and it's been ridiculously successful just literally selling off of Instagram and, like, the fastest one sold within two minutes of me posting it, um, which for an artist... Uh, and like I said, being able to then suddenly be able to focus and, and just only have this be the one primary thing, it's such a huge phenomenal blessing that I find myself in this place right now in my life where this is really now just sort of like moving to the forefront of my existence.
4: I love it. Well, it, it's such a great, <laughs> fun piece, and I love the creativity of it. And, and you work them into such great I, – I featured the bridge on the promo today when I talked about it. And it looks like the the crossed arches of the bridge, spelling out our F word. But do you uh-huh. kind of see these in your mind's eye before you create them? Or do you find these, do you find these objects that you want to do and then find ways to incorporate the word into it? How are you finding these?
1: So that one is an appropriation of uh, a Monet painting, and I wanted to, like, I tried to have thematic elements that resonate to me personally. Um, like, I also did an adaptation of Van Gogh's Starry Night, where in the swirls that he uses in, in the style that which he paints, I incorporated the F word in there. And it started off, the whole thing actually started off with me um, just messing around, and um, I was using sort of, paper, and I kept writing the word, or painting the word, rather, over and over again in different ways, and I became so curious about how malleable the word is, um, because the F word is one of those words that you can actually use as a noun, as a verb, as an adjective, as, you know, like, it can be so, it's so easy to manipulate and to sort of, like, twist into things, and then I kind of became curious about how a font makes the word look, and then that curiosity led me to playing with that situation. And then I sent a picture of this, the first one that I was just sort of messing around with to a very close friend of mine. And she was like, I know you're just playing right now, but I actually really love this. And so that was, it was another moment where, I mean, social media is this incredible thing where I, I posted it, and it got this really interesting response. And so then I started doing a couple more, and I sold the first five um, – it wasn't the first two because I actually have those, but it's actually two through uh, seven I sold uh, to um, two people. Uh, and, you know, they were both like, we we love this, we want them, you know, whatever. And I it just sort of started this journey of like, well, how can I now kind of like continue to push this thing and, and kind of have this dialogue keep happening? And I try to find curious and interesting ways to evoke the word or utilize the word in ways that are either comical or humorous um, or sort of like a where's Waldo. Um, I also have this really big sense about me where if I'm being given, I want to give back. And so one of the things that I decided to do was I did a scavenger hunt and here in Los Angeles where I created a golden ticket, a golden F-word ticket that I hid. And one of the places that was really incredibly lovely to me um, in terms of my development as an artist is um, Fred, Fred Siegel here in Los Angeles, specifically Moro's Cafe, right. and they um, housed my paintings, uh, a series of paintings that I had done last summer, and uh, put them up in the restaurant there so that everybody could come and see, and I actually got a couple commissions off of that as well, and You know, that was sort of of my previous work and everything. So I decided to hide the golden ticket there and then utilize the social media platform to then sort of link it back to the person who found the ticket through doing a series of clues of how to get to the specific thing, uh, the specific place, and how to get the access, the actual golden ticket. Um, I use that as a way to sort of like give back to like acknowledge the the restaurant for, for hosting my paintings, but then also for somebody who loves the work and be able to give back to them as well.
4: That is awesome. I love that. Well, very cool. And I, and I want to talk. I think you have a couple announcers that we'll get to, but let's go backwards a bit. We've gone so far forward here. I want to start with your background. Tell me a little bit. Uh, where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you?
1: Um, so I'm the youngest of three kids. I was born in Michigan and raised in Michigan and Montana. Um, my two older brothers are five and seven years older than myself. And when I was five, my family moved from, uh, from Elma, Michigan. Uh, we actually lived outside of Elma in this little teeny tiny town called uh, Riverdale. And we moved to Billings, Montana, because my father was in the oil and construction industries. And my grandparents had actually moved there, my paternal grandparents to the other side of the state. And so they wanted to be kind of closer to, to them as well. And so my parents, my family, we all moved out there. And then at the age of 10, my parents divorced And I went to live with my mother and was raised primarily by her because my brothers are so much older than myself. They wound up – my eldest brother, John, went to college, and then my middle brother, Neil, stayed with my father. And Mm. I – it kind of became my mother and I as a team, essentially. And so I was primarily raised by her, and I have a really strong sense of – and this will relate to one of the announcements that I actually have later – of, you know, importance to women and and feminist organizations and things like that. My mother was actually the president of her chapter of NOW um, in Billings, Montana. Yeah, and then her best friend, Virginia Bryan, ran for legislature, and my mother was her campaign manager. And so as an 11-, 12-year-old kid, I was walking around like, you know – handing out flyers and talking to people about Virginia Bryan for legislature and and everything. And so that was a really interesting and unique experience that I had. And my mother was really, um, really, really positive in terms of kind of allowing me the space to kind of develop and explore. And I'm a dyslexic child. I was pulled out of first grade when they realized that I was dyslexic. And I've always had this experience where I seem to be separated from the pack in a lot of ways. And... Mm. I'm also an introvert, and I'm a very shy person, although I have this well-developed extroverted persona, which is, I've utilized, <laughs> um, but it's, it's always, I've always been somebody who, I guess, watches what's happening around me more than I feel like I want to jump in and engage in it always, and so um, it was, one of the best things my mother actually did for me was she put me into therapy when I was like 10 years old right, after the divorce, and it gave me the opportunity to really sort of explore and unpack what it was that I was feeling and and going through and learn to develop this idea about how, you know, essentially whatever it is that you're going through, your truth essentially will evolve, right? Like the experience that you have initially and what's true of you right now may not be true of you in five or 10 years, depending on how it is that you sort of utilize the information that you're being given. And I believe one of the tenets cores of my person is I believe that everything is information and so if you want to buy the emotion that comes with the information when it first comes in, you can do that and I think it's important to process and, and sort of acknowledge the emotions but it's also important to unpack that stuff and from there you can start to look at things more objectively and develop a perspective about all of that and utilize it to sort of help you to move through things a little bit more easily. Um, and that 's one of the things that therapy provided me was this sort of like the beginning or the nucleus of the idea of basically being able to look at something as information and the other thing that happened to the during the divorce was you know i i my family was wealthy. And my mother and I suddenly moved into this condo that had like green shag carpeting and orange countertops in the kitchen. And, you know, like I said, it was just the two of us. And she worked for a nonprofit organization, um, which utilized or or basically helped disabled adults be able to create products to then sell and sort of like give back to them. And so I guess that's partially where some of the charitable aspects of of my my character and my being come from as well. And um, so anyway, we you know we didn't have a lot and one of the things that i became really keenly aware of is is identity and perspective based off of identity and so whenever we would move i would go to these different you know we would go to i moved 3 different times after my parents divorce and i would go to a different school and one of the first things that i did was change my physical appearance every single time because I suddenly realized like people judge me or sort of receive me based off of how it is that I look. And your, your physicality is right. your nonverbal to the rest of the world of how it is that you'd like to be received. And so that became a curiosity to me when I was very, very young. And when I was finally 17 years old and I sort of had come to a crossroads where I realized certain aspects of my being Um, Like being gay, for instance, and coming out of the closet was something that I I needed to do because I I couldn't deny those aspects of my person any longer. Um, In coming out and sort of starting to accept myself a little bit more, I realized, you know, I was ready to kind of like move into the world in a little bit of a different way. And I looked to my mother and I was like, I want to run off to Hollywood and become an actor. And she very quickly said to me, you have no talent for poverty. You need to go to hair school. Um, because I kept changing my hair color all the time and so I did and that's what kind of got me into you know hairstyling and it was also the first sort of educational experience that I had being dyslexic and everything else where I could walk in and not only did I understand something but I could excel at it and and that's what happened Mm -hmm. and I could just—I found myself just being able to do certain things or understand and unpack things. And I think part of it is, you know, just being able to, through dyslexia as well. What I realize is my brain will sort of look at something multiple different ways and sort of like try to figure out again the idea of perspective. What I was talking about in therapy—I'm sort of hardwired to do that. And in right. that way, because my brain will sort of like figure out different areas or different avenues to get into something or sort of like work with something. Um, I can kind of I can kind of manipulate something and then watch it and, and have that sort of like internal dialogue going on, which is sort of the foundational aspects of what it was that allowed me to become the hairdresser and now the artist that I am. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I absolutely
4: love that. And you talk about um kind of two seminal moments. One three years ago with the art, which we'll get back to. But one yeah. your coming out experience at seventeen be another seminal um, aspect. Talk about that. When did you first come out to yourself, and when did you kind of first find your LGBTQ tribe? Would you say?
1: So my coming out experience was, I guess it's kind of twofold. I I've always known, like there was never a question in my mind about it. Um, and I had, you know, I had friends growing up. I think because we moved as many times as we did and everything, um, I didn't really think about hiding that part of myself until I was born in 1975 and like the early eighties when we moved to Montana um, was also sort of when HIV and AIDS became something that was, you know, became part of our awareness. And right. that's also when the other F word, which I'm also not going to say became part of my awareness too. And I think that put me in the closet, I guess is a good way of putting it. And um, I I didn't want to be viewed as, you know, the manipulative media projecting this idea about what gay people were. I didn't want to be that projection that I was sort of like being fed. Um and and so I sort of just decided to go inward. And I think that was another layer of sort of like again developing this internal monologue and everything else and it wasn't until I started to, one, with therapy and and starting to unpack some of the things that I was going through and everything else. Um, But two, through the journey, getting to a place where I started to realize that, you know, you can try on a lot of different things um, and you can sort of experience a lot of different things. But what winds up being true of you will always assert itself, even when you're trying to do something else. And so I think that's why when you see even really, really talented actors, for instance, like I'm going to use the example of Julia Roberts, you can watch mm-hmm. Julia Roberts pretty much anything and there's a certain sense of comfort because you kind of know what you're going to get. That's not to say that she can't be transformative, but there are there are tenets of her being that you kind of almost come to count on from her in a performance. Right. And it because it's it, you know, the contrast to that would be somebody who's like ridiculous re- remarkable like Meryl Streep where you're just like how do you change so much? <laughs> And you know what I mean? Like, where it's almost like the person is is completely and totally unrecognizable. Um, For me, I'm not a good actor. (laughs) It was not my journey. I I studied, I tried, it was not meant for me. Um, But, you know, that was sort of part of this level of self-acceptance that began when I came out at like 17. I was in my junior year of high school and I, you know, I didn't I couldn't deny who I was anymore, and, you know, I think as kids, they pick up on things really quickly, too, and I just sort of got to a point where I was like, I'm done. I can't – I'm done hiding. I'm done dealing with this, and so it's time just to step into it, and so at 17, I chose to leave my high school and drop out and start my own journey, and – step into my authenticity in that way. And what's funny is when you talk about, like, finding your tribe and everything else, I had a group of friends who were performing in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we were living at the time, um, in their public theater, and they were doing a performance of Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And um, I wound up through my friends Gabe and Serenia meeting uh, (laughs) drag queens, a couple drag queens that were actually performers in the show. Uh, Lonnie Paul Haley, who's known now as Mercedes Monroe, Um, and then Janet Amon, who is Tony Kilgo. I hope she doesn't kill me for saying that, but anyway, um, (laughs) and you know, like they, I was smuggled into a gay bar at 17 years old, um, for the first time and for the first experience. And it was the first time that I ever felt myself. Like I felt attractive. I felt people actually looking at me like I was attractive. I felt like I could actually just sort of be and live and, and I felt free and, you know I think these these wonderful people, like Lonnie and I are still you know we still communicate uh, via text or like you know Instagram Lonnie lives in San Francisco now, and you know it's it's amazing to watch how individual our journeys have become but yet at the same time how we can still connect and kind of like relate to one another and you know i'm i'm a huge fan of of rupaul's drag race as well because i love watching these sort of like origin stories of people who kind of like step into themselves and for a lot of people i look at drag they look look at drag and that form of artistry as you know something that becomes an escape for them but then what you'll constantly hear them say is even though it started off as a, uh, an escape, it actually became me being able to step into the truest aspects of myself and giving myself the freedom to be able to do that. And I, if that, for me, I think is, is art. It's also the expression of hair and, and sort of identity in the work that I've done. And so that's where I think my tribe started. Um, and then what happened was I started working in a salon in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with two educators for Redken. And they would tour around the world and teach at hair shows. And they brought me to New York City for the very first time, which is part of the reason why Oz is such an important story. And that link to N coming before O and Y coming before Z is so important to me because flying in, looking out the window of the plane, I had the most overwhelming sensation of home I'd ever had in my entire life. And I remember being in New York City and walking down the street and seeing every different walk of life, every different ethnicity, every different religious affiliation, hearing every different language, And the thing that's really amazing about being in New York City is it has public transportation, which is a great democratizer, but also it has a sidewalk. Everybody uses a sidewalk in New York City. You can't get away from it. And so you see and experience anything and everything. And for a city that has 7 million people living on that island plus an additional, like, what, 5 to 7 million that come into it to work on a daily basis, you know, for the most part, they get along relatively harmoniously. And my immediate experience – I was walking down the street and I just looked around and I was like, oh my God, I could be myself here. And not I could be whatever I wanted to, but rather I can be myself here. And so it took me it took me a couple of years to build up the courage to finally move there. But I did. When I was 25, I wound up actually moving to New York City. And I'll never forget the experience of when I first moved there. It was right before, it was just in the very beginning of 2000 and walking down the street, looking around me, it was like, this is everything that I'd ever hoped for and dreamed. And I would constantly find myself just being like, oh, my God, I live here. Like, this is my home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've either lived in New York or Los Angeles since 2000. So um, nice. that's yeah, that's what sort of started all of that stuff off. Um, and uh, that was another layer of, again, kind of like being able to step into a place where, you know, not only could I have radical self-acceptance, but I could also, I found myself being very comforted because there were so many different things that were at my fingertips there um, that unfortunately, when you grow up in rural environments, you don't always have access to. And so um, this was obviously before internet was as popular as what it is right now. And that's opened up an entirely different world that we're experiencing right now as well. Um, But yeah, that's sort of, that kind of like led me into another place. And I worked for two guys um, who had a salon, Nick Arojo and Rodney Cutler, which some people might know Nick Rojo from What Not to Wear when he was on that. Mm. And I started working and I had, they made me do an apprenticeship again because, you know, i had come from Michigan and even though I'd had seven years of being a hairstylist and we worked with all the different modeling agencies. And one of the other things that we got to do was we would work fashion week. And so I, you know, even as an assistant, we get to go in and start working at Fashion Week, and, you know, it was the first time that I had this opportunity to do something that was, you know, it's, the impact is on a global scale, and it was so, there was so much energy, and it was so exciting, and it was such a different time in the early 2000s, especially, and I remember being just, feeling really electric there, and um, they, they, at Aroja Cutler, they only wanted me to, they wanted you to compartmentalize, so you could either be a hair colorist or a cutter, And so I said, well, what makes more money? (laughs) And he said color, and I said, fine, I'm a colorist. And then they made me do an apprenticeship again, and then I kept pushing for them after I did my apprenticeship. And they wanted it to be a two-year apprenticeship, and I finished it in seven months. And I said, I can cut hair too. And they're like, not in the salon, you can't. And I was like, fine. And I kept pushing and pushing. And then when they allowed me to come and style at Fashion Week, because I would always blow out all the models and everybody who I did myself as opposed to giving it to an assistant, they were like, okay, you're really good at styling. I was like, yeah, I can cut hair too. They're like, not here. I was like, fine, whatever. So (laughs) I kept pushing. um, And then they used me for Fashion Week stuff. And that's where I actually met um, at at that salon somebody who is, I guess a member of my soul tribe, um, <laughs> uh, a journeymate, if you will. I don't. Be- I don't necessarily believe in soulmates. I believe in journeymates. I be- believe there are people who who come into your life and walk the journey with you. Um, oh, well said. Thank you. Um, that person is Kevin Posey, um, and Kevin Posey is a makeup artist. Uh, but he's. I mean, to, well, was a makeup artist. He's he, artist, and now he actually manages musicians and stuff. But at the time, he actually wound up giving me um, my first opportunity in editorial fashion. And I did a photo shoot with Christy Brinkley for InStyle magazine at her house in the Hamptons. And that was my first editorial like fashion experience, which for somebody who didn't have a book and to sort of like step into that and then to work with one of the most famous supermodels of all time, I was a little yeah. bit in over my head. I'm going to be really honest. Um, and <laughs> it was – you know, here I am suddenly at Christie Brinkley's home in the Hamptons and, you know, Jack and sailor were like little kids. And I also then started working with Alexa Ray Joel, who's Billy's daughter. And, um, you know, that was, that just sort of opened up this other aspect. And, and, you know, Kevin has been such an amazing champion to me, um, in my life and, and such an amazing friend to me in my life. We're still really close. He actually lives in Los Angeles now too. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I guess that's one of the other things is, you know, for anybody who's out there that's listening, like the things that are meant for you will will be yours. And one of those things that you have to realize is that sometimes it comes to you through other people and through other means, but it comes because of your authenticity and your truth. And Kevin allowed me the space to be myself, and he understood what I was going through in this particular space with you know arosio cutler and nick and rodney rodney and this is not meant to be disparaging to them either they you know had a partnership and they had to run a business and they had a specific dream and goals they were organized organized into and i'm incredibly lucky that they brought me in however it was a place for me to sort of like have a foundation and i think the primary reason was for me to also then meet kevin and so at that point i wound up um at 27 years old sort of looking up and saying okay well it's sort of now or never if I want to try to do anything else, and I decided to study acting at NYU, and I was accepted to uh, a core conservatory program at Stella Adler at NYU, um, and I studied acting – it's a four-month like, core conservatory program where you have like three different um, – you, you studied scene study – character development and movement and oh and voice but like speaking voice and projection and so i did that and i then decided i was going to move to los angeles um to see if i had what it takes to be an actor and so i moved to la and um i gave myself a year to try to be an actor which is ridiculous because anybody who who knows anybody in Los Angeles who's tried to be an actor there's this thing called the ten ten year overnight success um, where right. you've been working <laughs> and, and and developing all of your life to try to get to this point and then suddenly, after ten years, it's like, oh, then you finally get into this place where you've met enough people and and the circumstances line up for you and um, so anyway, I moved out here and at the end of the year. I had a callback for an improvised film and a call back for a makeover show and I went to the callback for the improvised film, couldn't hold the character, choked, went home, cried, called my mom, and then <laughs> reluctantly sort of went to the callback for the makeover show and, of course, wound up getting that. And it was a, it was a interstitial uh, – it was sort of – basically, it was like movie in a makeover. It was called Kickoff Your Shoes Across America, and it was sponsored by Procter & Gamble. And we used all P&G products. And – I was the hairstylist, there was a makeup artist, and there was our host, and we had a mobile styling unit that we it was like a big huge RV that we turned into this styling station and we would drive around and like, you know, pick up our contest winners and, you know, give them these huge makeovers and everything, and that was like the first time that I kind of realized that I could kind of merge certain things, certain aspects of my life, and and that's when hair and sort of this idea of having this on-camera persona kind of came into play. And Absolutely. Yeah, it became another form of expression so that sort of then led into a couple different things which then led me to being signed to an agency um, for hair, makeup and um, stylists uh, called Artist by Timothy Briano, which is where I met Crosby the first time and then that sort of pushed me more into the world of developing identity with um, actors and uh, singers and also working with models doing editorial shoots and I was then surrounded by, you know, some of the most talented makeup artists and photographers and stylists in the world. And, you know, consistently being exposed to all these different, it was like, it was this fast and immediate education in the world of fashion. And, um, it was, and also because of, you know, the fact that you're using your eyes and, Specifically with photography, you're you're compressing a three-dimensional image life essentially into two dimensions, and so understanding the juxtaposition of those two things and how to work with, manipulate to be able to create one sort of like visu- visually pleasing things in line and sort of seeing lines that are produced in, in photographic images, but then also to produce – um, thematic elements that tell story through visual representation i.e. like how you put yourself together and and watching the model go through these different situations or when you get a celebrity ready for a red carpet there's this idea of telling the story like who's the, you know what is the character that you know this the celebrity is sort of stepping into in the particular moment even if it is for a red carpet one of my favorite actresses who does this really really well is Darby Stansfield from Scandal like she loves this whole entire thing mm-hmm. Because for her, it's an incredible escape. Um, and it's a way to sort of like play at this particular moment where you're being put out there. And I think some of the best actors are actually also introverts, too, because they don't necessarily um, like showing their real self to the, to the outside world. And so fashion and, and that sort of thing provides a tool for them to be able to save parts of themselves and their private self for themselves and then leave their creative work out there for the rest of the world's and public consumption. So, right. yeah. Well, so. Anyway, yeah. I've been rambling here for the entire time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's
4: okay. That's all right. It, it, I've, I've gone through like four pages of notes and you've answered all the questions that I have. So we're doing good. <laughs> we're ahead of the game here. I like it.
1: And Fantastic. I think you,
4: things do happen for a reason. I think you proved that through these stories and I, and I could see where the art came from because I, I can imagine the thrill of creating your own product and having your own product line, but you're still under the p umbrella, right? So you're corporate, and now all of a no. sudden you're doing art yourself.
1: What, Actually, you I was like doing you? product line on my own. I was completely removed from the p umbrella. Okay. I was going to do this on my own and sort of create my own thing and do it just with my partnership with my, my agent at the time. Um, but you are correct in thinking that, you know, everything that I had done up into that point in terms of like developing creativity and working, uh, you know, I do believe in hairdressers, makeup artists, stylists, all being artists as well, you know, and as, as well as actors and musicians and, and everybody in the, in, and models as well. Like it's, it's all form of talk. Exactly. And, you know, but those mediums are all creativity by committee. And, um, you know, a lot of things changed when social media became part of that world, um, editorial fashion and, you know, the celebrity world and everything else. When people started sort of having access to, you know, and utilizing Instagram or things like that to sort of like help promote either the product or the celebrity using that to promote their, their project or whatever. And there's this thing that sort of happens where, like I was saying, you know, when I first started actually working with celebrities, if you would have brought out a camera at, you know, a situation where you were getting somebody ready or whatever, like even if it was on your cell phone and asked to take a photo, you would have been fired immediately. And now we're in a very, it's like an upside down world in comparison to that where, you know, these artists are now utilizing this platform to them further perpetuate their own individual growth. Um, Which I, I think is, it's, it's a timely situation. It's just not one that, I lent myself to organically um, in that way uh, because I always had a tremendous sense of privacy. And, you know, I I look at a lot of actors who are out there that, like I said, are introverted um, and I'm using actors specifically because I think a lot of people can relate to this. Um, You know, you, you see your favorite actor or whatever. And I think it was Carrie Mulligan who was very famous for saying like, I don't want to have an Instagram account where I'm, you know, sending out photos of myself standing in Brooklyn at a coffee shop when you know in modern day times when you know the next image or the next thing that a person sees is me trying to play a suffragette, and you know it's I think that suspension of disbelief is something that's really important to kind of like allow um an artist to be able to develop character, specifically an actor in that way um so it's 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 an interesting thing um to experience, and I think the combination of that plus when I was with P&G and I was a spokesperson for Herbal, primarily my platform was utilized for, uh, and meant to be, or intended to be utilized for Herbal Essences. So while other Mm -hmm. artists who were not necessarily linked to a product line in that way, could then also utilize other product lines to then develop their their following in that way too, and, and develop different revenue streams and everything else. And so it just wasn't, when I got to the point when I was sort of rounding out that part of my career, I It wasn't something that was organic to me, and I had sort of gotten to a place where it had been so far gone that um, I didn't really have the interest or the desire to kind of like try to motivate in that way, which is ironic because, like I said, I'm using Instagram now to sell my paintings.
2: <laughs> so it, it
1: comes back around, definitely. Um, but for me, it was – yeah, for me, the the journey is really about sort of like, again, authenticity and autonomy and creativity by autonomy. And one of the other sort of lessons that I've learned from this whole entire experience, I was actually talking to my father about this last night was, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing creatively, and I think this actually applies in life too. Um, you know, people will see what it is that you're doing. But, they'll experience it from their perspective. So when you're doing something that's so incredibly and intensely personal and you feel some, and especially as an artist, oftentimes, you know, with the work that I do, I can feel incredibly personal about it or like I'm very much exposing and very vulnerable in that way where I'm exposing some part of myself or aspect of myself. And there are things that I've done that I've been like, oh, my God, am I going to put that out there? It makes me really nervous. But then I remember – People don't see you when they look at it. They, they see themselves. Art is actually a mirror. And there's this great quote from this movie called Playing by Heart, which was this movie that was done in the late 90s. And it has like John Stewart, Angelina Jolie, uh, Ryan Philippi Sean Connery, General Rollins. It's like an amazing movie. And the quote essentially, and I won't ruin the movie, but is between two of the characters. And one of them says, do you remember what you told the kids about falling in love? And... The other person says, no, I don't at this moment. And basically he said that you said, or the character says, you said, when you fall in love with someone, you learn everything about that person and so quickly and how you know it's true love is you begin to see yourself through that person's eyes and it brings out the best in you. It's almost as if you're falling in love with yourself. And Mm. that little nugget has always stuck with me um, because, you know, I think one, when I was talking to you, again, about my youth and sort of understanding that my journey was about sort of identity and perception of identity and your, non, your, your physicality being your nonverbal cue to the rest of the world, how it is that you'd like to be received and everything, that sort of resonated and, and connected to that. And now where it links into this particular situation is I realize that the closer I am to being true and honest and fearlessly honest about what it is that I put into the work that I'm doing, the more it's going to resonate with other people, not because they see me, but rather... They are closer to seeing their own individual truth because I'm closer to being as honest about it as I possibly can in creation. And I think if you operate that way in life, the same thing happens to you too. You'll, you'll draw people who are closer to you than ever before if you can get closer and more honest with yourself about who you are. And so that's why I qualify coming out as one of the most important moments, seminal moments that happened in my life and, and the journey to New York as well.
4: Right, and that's and you've said that all along too. I think authenticity is the key. I've talked about this over the last two and a half months of covid that which really brought out who the superstars are and who are really in these zooms that people are having when, when no matter what type of artist you are, as you said, whether you're a singing artist or a performing artist or you're a you do hair or whatever you happen to do. You you see the true selves of people coming through during this pandemic and different things they're doing. And authenticity has always been thought of as something maybe scary and not wanting to share yourself, but the more you share yourself, the more you're going to get back from those that you're sharing with. Right.
1: Absolutely. I'm a big, um, big fan of Brene Brown. Um, (laughs) If you haven't, if you haven't, listen to her TED Talks, she's she's brilliant, and it's Brene with a B, um, although I'm sure that she's well-known enough now that most of your listeners will know who I'm talking about. Um, right. Yeah, no, she was, that that sense of authenticity and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to be closer to your your own individual truth is incredibly important. But the other thing that I think is really interesting about what we're experiencing with COVID is... You know, Michelle Obama talked about empathy last night at the DNC, and I thought it was such an incredibly interesting and relevant point that a lot of people haven't quite picked up on yet. In a, in a world where we feel so incredibly, in a country, I should say rather, where we feel so incredibly divided, but at the same time, consequently, one of the things that's happening or we're experiencing right now is the fact that more than ever, we're a global community. And had we been in a place where we were working together more globally. This pandemic would not have reached this proportion for any of us, first and foremost. And then secondarily, from going from macro down to micro as an individual, being separated from your life in a lot of ways, um, it forces you to confront your ego. Like, where do you subsidize the being that you are? And how do you subsidize that on a regular basis? So not having your friends around you that sort of, you know, might react to the new outfit that you just bought or the new, you know, item that you have on your, you know, like a new watch or whatever it is that sort of like is the the special thing or, you know, where you draw your pride from, you know, your work or whatever, having those things sort of like removed from you and that sense of connection to the world and that sort of sense of self and identity, being alone, if you're not comfortable with yourself, these are moments when this is going to be incredibly challenging. And so, like, as an introvert, for me, it's been wonderful because... (laughs) I've been able to, like, (laughs) dive and go into this world. But I also completely and totally understand people who are extroverted, who, you know, have lost that sense of community that they need, which helps to subsidize and provide them the energy that they need to get through their day-to-day basis. And so that's why I brought up the point about empathy and sort of, like, learning to have that sense of understanding for one another when we're all going through this stuff. And I wish wish more people – one of the best things about living in New York, actually, when I did in 2001 during 9-11 – I was really, this is going to sound strange when I say it, but I was really grateful that I lived in the city during 9 11 um, because it was such a pristine, clear day. And it then created this consequence where the whole world stopped, and you could hear a pin drop. Uh, you could shoot a cannon down any one of the avenues. Um, and, you know, the only sound you heard over your head was an F-18 fighter fighter plane that was protecting your airspace that would go back and forth. And it was, it was so intensely still. And I'm going to say I'm going to qualify it as oddly beautiful because the only other thing you heard was people walking around asking one another, are you okay? And I can't believe this happened. It's such a beautiful day. How could this happen on such a beautiful day? And... Sharon Anthony, who was one of the two people that I went to um, New York with for the first time, actually, I saw her because she was working Fashion Week um, which was during the middle of all of that stuff, and literally, we had dinner the night before it, and we sat down and we were talking about how we wish we could put something in the water to make people realize what's most ultimately most important and then the next day that happened, and it was it was just this this clear moment of of realization that when these things happen, when you're forced to sort of like be still and look at the world around you, if you can be curious about what opportunities might be there in front of you, as opposed to dwelling on what's been removed from you, you can move through this a lot easier. And it can open up different aspects and avenues into yourself that you haven't necessarily been able to explore because this is an entirely different experience. And when we can't control things, the thing that we can control is, how we choose to, again, look at the perspective that we're looking at it from, and then utilize the information to the best way we possibly can. Right.
4: Very well said. I'm loving everything you're saying, my friend. We need to have you back more often for motivation, but we're going to start to run out of time here and I need to get back to your art and some of these special announcements you have. So let's kind of drift our way back over to that direction I'm so excited yes. about these pieces. Um, it's been great going through the Instagram and then trying to find these other places. Let's start with your announcements, and we'll talk more about art maybe next time. But go ahead and give sure, us Sure. No, I would love that for sure, and thank you have.
1: for having me ramble so much. Um, and it's been really fun to talk about this. But first and foremost, um, so during uh, COVID and the beginning of the pandemic and sort of like being on, on lockdown, um, one of the things that wound up happening, obviously – Uh, which is also incredible, is the Black Lives Matter movement. And there was a particular um, person who, uh, her video went viral. And I created a painting for, that was sort of my observation of what was happening um, with everything that was going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I donated the painting itself, uh, the image of the painting to the Student Association, uh, sorry, Student Artists Association of Minnesota. And they created stickers of it, um, and like masks and various other things. And they sold all of those, which the proceeds for that all went to the Black Lives Matter movement. And then um, I saw this video that Kimberly Latrice Latrice Jones did, where she was talking about essentially systemic racism, and she broke it down in such a way that was so incredibly clear and poignant. Um, And it really, really, really stuck with me. And then... I watched her again on Trevor Noah, and when I saw her on Trevor Noah, I was like, I need to give her this piece. Um, and the painting itself is called The State mm-hmm. of Being United, and um, it's an appropriation of a $20 bill. And the $20 bill, obviously, which George Floyd was uh, accused of trying to pass a counterfeit $20 bill, but then also it's on the back of the $20 bill, there's the White House. And I'm very aware of our president right now and the fact that we're supposed to be a Harriet Tubman $20 bill, which he sort of put an end to. And I covered up the White House on the back of the the painting with um, these four different characters. And the top center character is an African-American male that's done in a style that I was working in previously, who's looking up to the sky almost as if he's looking for God or for his mother. And then... There are two that flank him on the left and the right, one is sort of obviously held head held in shame, and the other one is in a place of contemplation and then the lower central figure has his head down and his hand is on both both of his needs, which is a reference to taking a knee and this the name of of course the state of being united um, and the fact that you know what we were going through at the time, it was just something that it was my immediate reaction and when I watched her talk about systemic racism and breaking it down specifically in terms of like money and wealth. I reached out to her privately on Instagram Um, and I was, you know, I sent a message where I was like, Lord knows if you'll even see this or or get it or whatever. And so anyway, I sent her the painting and actually she just posted it and I just reposted it to my story. Um, She's so incredibly intelligent and she's doing so much amazing work. If you guys don't follow her on Instagram, please do. She's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So I'm excited to announce that she posted the painting that I gave her. I was doing it privately and then she wound up posting it. So wow, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, I wasn't going to do it without any mention. Um, Anyway, the other thing that I had done, um, there is an organization uh, called the Goss Michael Foundation, which is a gallery that's in Texas, um, Dallas, Texas, and they started something that's called Art Trinity, and it's um, Kenny Goss, Joyce Goss, and um, Maxine Trowbridge. And Art Trinity is, they have enlisted artists from around the world, international artists to create what's called, uh, postcards of positivity during the pandemic. And I donated a, pre- uh, previous painting, sorry, it's a lot of P's, uh, called a hundred times. Yes. And all of these paintings are postcard size. So they're four inches by six inches and a hundred percent of the proceeds proceeds from the purchase of these goes to, um, artist relief, which is it, it funds artists who are suffering from coronavirus. Um, and so I posted, I, uh, gave them one painting which was 100 times yes and then I've created a special edition of my F Word series called 2020 Vision which is an eye chart where when you're reading out the eye, sh- eye, eye chart it actually spells the word F-U-C-K so yeah anyway that is now going to be posted on their um, the Art Trinity website and will be up for sale and again all the proceeds go to subsidize um, an artist who is suffering from coronavirus, coronavirus and COVID And they have amazing, amazing international artists. Like, I'm so ridiculously lucky to be in the company of some of these other artists, especially at this stage of my career at the very beginning. And Kenny and and Joyce and Max have been so gracious with me. And so they're going to be posting the painting very, very soon. Um, I have the link, I believe, that I posted in my Instagram um, that's coming up. And then the other thing I want to announce (laughs) at this particular moment, um, I feel like I'm having to hurry here, is... No, um, you don't have to at all. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to announce that I'm incredibly excited about is I have decided to partner up with um, these two incredible ladies, uh, Megan and Q from Revolution Art Shop. Um, and Revolution Art Shop is it's these. Obviously, as I was raised by a single mother, I really appreciate appreciate female-driven businesses and feminism and women first and everything, and they started Revolutionary Art Shop, which they've done this. I want to say it's been three years. I might be getting that wrong. Um, and they create T-shirts and various other things. And so we're going to start creating F-word T-shirts um, w- based off of, you know, where it's oh an appropriation gosh. of my – and we're going to be selling yeah. those, those T-shirts. And this organization, it's it's specifically funding – Uh, The t-shirt sales, part of it, well, the proceeds will go to me to help fund what I'm going to be doing next up, which was supposed to be for next year, but it's actually going to be, it's been pushed to 2022, Um, but I have been invited, I'm one of, I want to say it's 100 artists from around the world that was invited to participate in an It's called Personal Structures, and it's an exhibition that's held in Venice, Italy, which coincides with Biennale, and it has over 600,000 annual visitors every year. It's a seven-month-long exhibition, and the European Cultural Center has generously provided me an opportunity to create um, as much as I want, and to do that, I have to fundraise to do it because everything is free to the public, and so... For me to participate, I I fundraise so that everybody gets to see this work. And because it coincides with the Biennale and it has such a huge thing, it's also going to be my launch um, internationally on a huge scale. Um, So i was looking for a different way to sort of like fundraise for that. And that's when I discovered Revolution Art Shop. And so we're partnering together. And I am going to do a shirt with them uh, coming up, but um, they've donated – in the last three years, over $20,000 to uh, organizations like the Trevor Project, Planned Parenthood, um, oh gosh, Southern Law, I'm re- forgetting the name of it. It's the one, oh God, it's not going to come to me right now. Uh, Southern Law Poverty oh. Center? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, they, these two women are so incredible, and they started this whole thing, and I'm so psyched to be able to do this. Um, one, because they focus on quality of the work and their shirts and everything else. And we've had multiple conversations about that, but two, because again, I'm supporting a business that helps support other people. And, um, I think it's really important to do that right now. So those are my two big announcements along with that. (laughs) That's
4: amazing stuff, my friend. I'm so excited for you and the work just speaks for itself. I am so impressed by you, my friend. I'm glad we get to know each other. I got to have you yes. back and talk about, I want to go from some of your original, I love the cubism part. We didn't even have a chance to talk about that yet, but it's <laughs> exciting that you're still moving on and moving forward. Thanks so much for coming on the show, my friend.
1: Thank you for having me and letting me sort of like speak a mile a minute to try to get everything in. It's, it's been a wonderful experience and I'm so, so grateful. Thank you.
4: Well, we will have you back many times in the future, guaranteed. Let everyone know what that fantastic Instagram is where they can find this great artwork and where they can find you um, in general.
1: So um, easiest way to get, get in touch with me at the moment is through my Instagram and it's my full name, which is Charles Baker, B-A-K-E-R, just like the profession and Strahan, just like Michael Strahan, S-T-R-A-H-A-N on Instagram. Um, Yeah. And that's where you can find me. And, and uh, also, if you're having a hard time remembering that, if you do the hashtag F word paintings, I'm the only one who does that. So all of the work will pop up, all the F words will pop up. um, And then you can find my profile that way too.
4: And they are amazing. I will vouch for them all. I love it. I love the postal service one recently. So in the news, you are just so prolific, my friend. Absolutely. I am so grateful.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to talk about it. And I look forward to doing this again.
4: Definitely stand the line for me. We are going to go ahead and play out guys. So a little bit of song here from Matt Stern up in Canada, and we'll be back to wrap things up just a little bit. You're listening to left of straight show right here on the left of straight radio network.
3: You're delightful, you're a comfort that can leave the pack. You're not shining, no. though, you're a wolf's tongue and a big, strong man. But I know your weakness, I have.
4: All right, guys, we are back. That was Matt Stern with You're an Animal. Guys, thanks for tuning in today. Such an interesting time talk with Charles Baker Strahan. He has an amazing career, reinvented himself twice, and absolutely love it. We're going to have to have him on many, many times. A big shout-out to David Reddish, of course, from Queerty. If you're not checking out the Queerty.com website to find out all the great information on politics and pop culture and entertainment Please check that out and follow David at uh, The Gay Magneto, Magneto, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, we had a great time. Han, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it tonight.
2: Yeah, it's always a joy to be able to be helpful on the show.
4: All right. Well, we are going to wrap things up here in just a second. If you're not following on social media, please do. You can follow myself at Left of Straight on Twitter and Instagram. That's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's The Left of Straight Show. And my personal profile is Scott Fullerton. Send me over a friend request. And you can follow Han and all the other interns at Left of Straight Radio, all at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So be sure to follow them there. On tomorrow's episode, we'll be back the rest of the week, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Tomorrow, we're going to talk to Adam DiCarlo for our very special guest interview. He is an actor, writer, and producer out of New York City. Actually grew up near where I grew up in Fullerton, California there in SoCal. He's got a great short film that he's put together featuring Robin Lord Taylor, who is on the Gotham series. He was actually on Gotham a couple times himself, So we're going to talk about all of that. And then since it's Wednesday, we're going to have our boys from J&J Buzz. Jeff and Josh will be on with our Pop Culture Minute. So be sure to tune in for that tomorrow right here on the Left to Straight Show. We'll see you then. And thanks for everything. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye everybody.